0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang.
1: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Natalie Runyon. Natalie's the founder of Raised to Stay, a ministry for those serving in the local church. She was formerly on staff with New Life Church in Colorado Springs. She's also a worship leader, songwriter, and sought-after speaker. And her debut book is entitled Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. Before we talk to Natalie, I want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, be sure to leave us a review, especially if you're listening on Spotify. Now let's go to Ed Setzer. Editor-in-Chief of Outreach
2: Magazine, and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Well, Super, we're gonna jump right into our conversation, because I think it's an important conversation today. And, you know, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of talk about people leaving the church, about uh deconstruction those are not quite the same thing about what it means to and you know a lot of times pastors and pastors kids you know we're our audience is pastors and church leaders so we're happy to jump into this conversation with you natalie and i want to talk first about you've got this 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 book raised to stay um and you know how does this relate to your own personal journey as well because it's again persevering in ministry is like everyone's question today but you got a story to start with just let's start there
0: Well, I grew up as a pastor's kid in the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, denomination. And that was my whole, you know, beginning of faith was being raised in the church. And I loved the church. It was my second family. It was basically these crazy, you know, aunts and uncles that were raising me. We lived in the church parsonage. There was such a, a deep love. My dad gave us such a deep love for his people. My mom, they just loved the people that they got to serve. And that was my whole beginning. And so when we hit church hurt, when it actually happened to us, uh, my senior year of high school, my entire life changed. I went from feeling protected loved, wanted to now feeling betrayed by the very institution that was supposed to protect me. And it changed my trajectory. I was supposed to go to a Christian college, ended up at a uh, public university, really wrestling with my faith for the first time as a pastor's kid, my identity stripped from me now me wondering, am I even called to do this church thing that I had been wanting to do for so long? And it took me on this wild, not deconstruction, but detangling from some of the things that I thought was true of the Bible and true of Jesus and took me on my own journey to where I am now in full-time ministry watching my own friends struggle with this whole deconstruction thing and that is what really prompted me to start raised to stage to write this book was to bring us back to our original yes even in the hurt even in the wandering and wondering to bring us back and center us back on Jesus and that is my prayer
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I, I would say that, you know, I've, I've been doing a series and people can can go to churchleaders.com and I, I, there's after the top headlines, I've got a little section, you know, with voices with Ed Stetzer. And I've actually been trying to talk through these things because a lot of people just when they see deconstruction, they just see one thing, which is, you know, people, you know, leaving the faith, maybe Josh Harris, you know, well-known uh, deconstruction, Abraham Piper and others. And yet, the reality is, I mean, there's deconstruction and there's reconstruction, and there's you know, and and there's discarding some things that weren't biblical or, or or or, or right, and and actually getting more focused on the things that matter much. So I think or most. So I think the the conversation here is really helpful. Again, just to remind everybody, it's called Raise to Stay, persevering in ministry when you have a million means, reasons to walk away. So, so talk to us how Raise to Stay fits into this conversation around deconstruction and, and 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 I mentioned reconstruction that we've all seen taking place the last few years.
0: Well, the church is notorious for wrestling with having hard and holy conversations. And I, I say that pretty strongly because it's been my entire life. I've, I've sat in church elder meetings since I was a little girl, like I cut my teeth on pews. It's hard for the church to have these conversations without wanting to defend the church. And the truth is, is that yes, there have been wolves in sheep's clothing, but there's also sheep crying wolf. And so we have to, as the church, be able to sit down and have these conversations about church hurt, church abuse, the things that we're seeing without being afraid of confronting some of the ways that we as the church have gotten it wrong. And so Raised to Stay is simply an invitation to the hard and holy conversations that point people back to Jesus and also back into community because the church is God's idea and anything that's God's idea is a good idea. And so it's really just an invitation to the conversation that my generation really wants to have.
2: Yeah. I, I, your phrase rests, you know, it, it, it rests the conversation, you know, there are sheep in wolves clothing, but there are also sheep who cry wolf. I think part of the challenge is right now, it's almost like a new conversation that there, there are, there could be, and there certainly are, leaders that have been abusive and and yet what what I found is you know working with churches is that you know a lot of times people are saying well well this is like this well no I mean there are nationally known and locally known situations where really there were abusive situations but not all of course not all disagreement is is toxic not you know and so so the, but the, but there are some so you know so people I, I imagine people listen to podcasts saying well how do you know the difference? I mean, and how do you navigate through some of those challenges? So, because again, you were hurt, you came, I'm assuming you didn't, you weren't crying wolf, you experienced a hurtful, difficult situation. So, you can't obviously be dismissive of that, so help us to know the difference.
0: You know, anything that's contradictory to the word of God that's coming from church leaders, anything that's causing us that to use scripture to defend abusive behavior or narcissistic leadership, those are where those red flags start to go off. And, you know, that thing that hurt me in my senior year in high school wasn't the only thing. I've been in adult ministry now for 20 years, and there has continued to be uh, difficult seasons and bad leadership and abusive different leaders who have been over me. And the one thing that I have been able to way out in all of the situations is if anything is said or done to me that is contradictory to the voice of God, that is contradictory to the word of God, that isn't aligning with how Jesus would talk to me and how we are called to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, That's a red flag. And so I have a choice in that matter to be both honoring of the leadership, but also honest to say to the leadership over me, Hey, this is not correct behavior. This is not how we should be treating each other. And what I'm noticing as I travel around to churches is that A lot of church staff would rather quit than contend for that healthy culture because of the reputation that people gain by sounding the alarm of, hey, this isn't healthy, this isn't biblical. And what I would love to see is for us to be able to sit in rooms, in offices, and have this Matthew 18 moment where we can call out behavior that isn't necessarily um, healthy in the church, but also maintain relationship. Yeah
2: yeah so I mean Matthew 18 conversations are challenged when there's power dynamics you know and so you know I, I recognize that that you know I mean there are policies at Biola University in the tablet school of theology where because not everyone's going to be comfortable going coming to me as the dean who oversees you know all these people or a, you know a large church pastor uh, or or whatever or maybe just pastor in a small church so um you know the application of Matthew 18 is a pretty hotly debated issue but I'm I think we need more and better conversations around these issues. I, I think that not all, but a lot, I don't know where that fits on the percentages of these conversations with some clear, frank communication in a, in a safe environment to have those things, You know, with policies in place to protect those things. So what would that look like? I mean, you obviously you stepped away and then came back and we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit, um, but how, how would you seek to Uh, advocate for pastors, maybe most of our audience is pastors and church leaders, to have those kind of conversations with one another, with elders? Because mostly they're in the, my, my audience is mostly in the church leadership space. So how might they have those conversations with one another, elders, staff, senior pastors to others and more?
0: Well, I think there's a definite empathy that's needed within church staff to be able to sit down with each other and validate the concerns that we have without it turning into gossip. And you and I both know, like being on a church staff, being in a Christian community, the goal is to present these things in a way that doesn't turn into gossip, but turns into ways to empathize and then make change, to advocate for change where there needs to be change. And so when I was on church staff, one of the things that I tried to do was to empathize and say, hey, I hear what you're saying and I validate that pain. I I validate what you're walking through and what was said to you, but I don't want to sympathize that because this is happening, the whole church is bad or the whole organization is bad. So what is our structure? What is our hierarchy? What is the chain of command that we're to follow to advocate for change, not just to talk about things, but to actually see some of these situations dealt with in a way that are honest, but also very honoring because we don't want to hurt each other. We don't want to see anybody be hurt or disappointed or disillusioned to the point where they quit. And so one of the ways that I tried to do that was to really operate under the structures that I was under. In the church and honor the systems, uh, without skipping processes, without skipping over people or situations, and so um, that's my uh, that has been my go-to in my young late thirties, early forties, and I know that I'm still very young um, in Good. church leadership, and so that's been how I've started: is just to seek empathy without going into full sympathy and it turning into something that maybe the enemy wants to take root on.
2: Yes, yeah, so well, I'm, all right, seeking empathy, sympathy. Right, give, give me a little more on that because I want to see how that might be lived out in a practical and you talk about some of this in the book. But but talk to us about what that I mean, walk us through here's a conversation I need to sit down and talk with you about blank.
0: So a lot of times, in I was a worship leader for a really long time, and so worship is one of those areas the enemy loves to get a hold of. And I can remember having young worship leaders come into my office and just complain over and over again about how they weren't getting to sing the songs they normally sing, and they're not being used as often as they want to be, and so-and-so's out to get them, and they're trying to sabotage their gifting and all of that. And I would sit across from that leader and say, I want to empathize with you from what I'm hearing you say, that you feel right. forgotten. You feel like people are being chosen over you you feel like your leaders aren't listening to you, but I'm not going to sympathize with you that the entire worship department is all centers and they're all out to get you. And I'm not going to sympathize with you that your calling is washed up and you're not needed anymore. So therefore we need to go to your oversight and we need to have a conversation and get some clarity as to why you aren't being used as you were before. And you're not getting to sing the songs that you want to sing. And let's find out what's really happening because I'm going to assume there are things we don't know. And I think, that those conversations lead us to as close to the Matthew 18 as we can get in some of these um, hierarchy situations where we're not in charge. You know, leading when you're not in charge can be hard sometimes.
2: Yeah. And worship leaders. Let's let's not even get started with the worship (laughs) leaders. Um.
0: (laughs) I I am such one and I understand.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is. I mean, there are, are, you know, I mean, just in general, you know having conversations with creatives can often be conversation different with the you know the the administrators and that kind of stuff and and we acknowledge that but i think one of the ways the strength that we have is that we learn to listen to one another and not discount one another as well so i mean so so again part of this is you you kind of unpack and and again again just so everyone remembers we're talking about race to stay persevering in ministry when you have a million reasons to walk away you you unpack persevering and return because you you face some struggles and challenges when you return to ministry what would advice would you give to church leaders struggling with similar challenges
0: i think all of us want longevity i don't know any of us who want to keep quitting or keep jumping church to church our heart is i believe to remain in position and to do the thing that God's called us to do with joy and not constant tension and constant drama. And, and I think a lot of us go in wanting that peace. We want to find our place and and not have to strive like we have in other places. And I've learned for myself that I oftentimes will attach a perfect God to imperfect people. I, Mm -hmm. I do it. I set the expectations so high and I, I want everybody to be, you know, just kumbaya all the time. And I'm, I'm learning as I go into new situations after being hurt, number one, that old wounds can still sting. That Mm -hmm. when I go into a situation thinking I'm fully healed, all it takes is maybe a, a side look or a, a bad comment or something that's not even meant to hurt me, uh, all of a sudden I realize that I am still wounded in some areas and I have to be aware of those. What are some of the areas in my life that are still tender? That if I'm going to step back into church leadership, if I'm going to go back in and really persevere, what do I need to know are those uh, beige flags in my life that might send me over the edge? Number two, I need to remember that God has called me into this space and he has called me to contend for healthy culture. And there may be times that it's not there and that it's not what I want it to be, but he will equip us. He will grace us for the race. And just because it's hard, doesn't mean it's bad. And I think a lot of us have, you know, those moments where we hear the alarms going off and we panic, but I have to remind myself all the time that God's kids, we don't panic. We prophesy, we speak into it, we fight for it, we contend for it. And then when he calls us out, out, if he calls us out, we know that we've done what we could to be that agent of change and to be that intercessor and that watchman on the wall, and we can leave knowing we did our very best. and And that's really what I hope for when God calls us out. When we go, we're not leaving; we're going. Is that there's peace in the going?
2: Yeah, but that's that's like hard. It's, <laughs> it's just easier just to just to go. And I guess you know, I, I was I had a very challenging experience years ago. I was hired, uh, kind of jointly hired by two. Two or three three christian leaders organizations that just weren't compatible and i was young and stupid and and it was an unhealthy culture and context and and so for me i just got out of there as soon as i could I, I don't know that my speaking up on issues would have made much of a difference but i learned as i got as i got older that um that you really have to lean in and and it's not much different you know i've been i've been married for 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 decades and and don and i gotta talk through things and any time you have this relationship. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm actually uh, recording the podcast today from Mariners Church. I have an office here at Mariners Church where I'm teaching pastor, and I think probably the key breakthrough point in my friendship with Eric Geiger, one of my closest friends, is actually when we had this like raised voice argument and stayed at the table. Um, we stayed at the table until we resolved it, and and now you know we've been close friends for a decade. But but I, I think a lot of people don't get to the breakthrough. You know, and you, you gotta get that breakthrough in marriage, you gotta get the breakthrough, breakthrough in, in relationships and more. But it's staying at the table if you're gonna have that. Now, um, so for 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 you, I mean, you walk through that and part and part, you know, that's where it's you know, some of it's some of its um, you know, personal story, uh, some of its you know advice and counsel as as well. But I mean, are there times when people should should go and um, you know, and how do healthy ministry leaders identify when they ought to leave, or when they ought to stay?
0: I mean, I have run into the night okay. before. Okay. Um, I have because I was scared. Me too. And, yeah. you know, there's a there's a humbling moment where you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And like you say, like, there's nothing that I could have said or done to have changed culture. There is nothing else that I could have done to bring about the change that I wanted to be in. And there's, there has to be a mourning. We have to be able to mourn that, that this isn't how I wanted it to be. This isn't what I wanted it to look like. And the enemy is so good at making us feel bad about it, for making us feel guilty for making that choice. But for our own health, sometimes the best thing we can do do is go and and to get out. And those have been some of the hardest seasons of my life and some of the hardest seasons of my parents' life is to leave a a flock that you love deeply. And um, one of the ways that I know that it's time for me to get out is when my emotional spiritual and physical health is in danger. When I am not sleeping at night, when I'm requiring a lot of, you know, maybe anti-anxiety and counseling to get through my job. And, and I'm realizing that I have done everything in my physical being to do what God has asked me to do. And I have hit a wall. And again, those are sad seasons, but we also have to listen to the discernment that God has given us. And you know, sometimes we're suspicious and sometimes we're discerning, but God's grace covers both. And sometimes we just got to get out. And um, I do believe God graces us um, in those midnight runs um, when we have to go and and gives us insight, uh, spiritual, biblical insight to be able to know what to look for in our next assignment.
2: Yeah, for me, um, you know, the uh, I actually wrote a series called, you know, uh, deal you know being in and leaving unhealthy organ christian organizations it was actually one of the most red series i ever did and uh i just think a lot of people feel that they're in i think a lot of people are in unhealthy christian organizations i was uh i, I wasn't probably old enough for or felt you know what people took me serious enough to to push back on it was a very is a large organization but but i do think unhealthy christian organizations are very real and my advice is for most people is to just get out of them you can't mm-hmm. uh when the culture itself is so unhealthy like it was where that place where i served I, I think it comes a place where you just got to protect yourself and your family and and there are, but there are financial difficulties with that you know we don't we can't just jump to another job in gen- generally so so how would you advise somebody you know they i mean again the, the whole the theme of the book it's called raised to stay so we want to stay we want to persevere in ministry um and so what maybe I need to stay, maybe God's called me to stay. Um, So what are some things I can do proactively to persevere in that ministry context?
0: We all need to have mentors and disciplers in our lives who we trust, who can listen to these situations that are removed from our organization, removed from the church, and help counsel us through what we're experiencing. We need another set of ears and eyes on us that are walking with us. And my spouse, my husband was one of those people. And I can rem- remember laying in the floor of one assignment in my kitchen and telling my husband, I just want to quit. Like I just want. I just want to be done. I can't do this. And my husband ever so calmly with tears in his eyes I said Natalie we have to find out why god has brought us here to, mm. to to do this and and having his voice of reason in my moment of panic meant a lot it it was it calmed me down and reminded me that god hadn't called us out yet and then i've had situations where i've been in my counselor's office telling her specific situations and she says natalie you can't grow in dead soil. You have to get out. And so to have those voices of wise counsel in our lives, none of us should be doing this on our own. And that's why I think we do see a lot of pastors resigning and quitting. And unfortunately, too, we see high suicide rates because people feel so alone in something that we don't need to be doing alone. Leadership doesn't have to be lonely. At number two, having a very significant prayer life where prayer and fasting and journaling and being in the presence of God constantly one-on-one and with our uh, spouses and in community with other believers is such a huge gift to us as leaders. And just because we're leaders doesn't mean we don't need other people. Pastor Brady Boyd says that community comes to the committed. And if we are going to be in community, we need to be committed, not just to our church community, but to faith community that will also help speak life into some of our situations that we can't see out of.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so and so tell us a little bit, like get a little more personal, because uh, you do in the book. I mean, so you you left, and now you're back in ministry. What were some of the the steps you had to take to, I guess, in a sense, to to poke your head back up and say maybe I should come do this.
0: I am like the Dora, the explorer of, of, (laughs) of church girls. Like I have done everything. I have been a teacher. I've been a personal trainer. I've been in sales. The best thing that I did was I started working in secular jobs. I went into situations where I was the only Christian, where I was the only one who knew Jesus. And I had to fight for my faith. I had to sit at lunches with atheists and other people who didn't know Jesus. And I fell in love with people all over again. When I left the church building just for a while and started getting involved in other organizations and doing things that made me uncomfortable and made me go back to my Bible and be like, why do I believe this? I fell back in love with people. And that was really when I was invited to come lead worship for a church on a random event. And I stood up on a platform for the the first time in so many years and led worship and my heart came alive again, I knew that the Lord had given me something special to be able to go back in and fall in love with the people before I fell in love with a position or a platform. And I will never forget that day. I was 33 years old and it was such a gift from the Lord to see that he was not done with me yet, that I had to take a breather. I had to take a little bit of a timeout, but he had a plan for me and that plan was not done yet.
2: Huh. okay fascinating so um so then first of all i just love the idea that people would step in and add that space but I, I think part of the challenge is is that the struggles we have in church organizations are not that dissimilar to struggles we have in non-church organizations. I, I don't like the term seculars because it contrasts with sacred but you get the point um I, I often would like when i started working at uh i think it was at lifeway i i would have to sit down and like say to new employees Maybe this is your first time working in a Christian space and maybe you thought we'd all be, you know, having worship music playing at our, you know, desks and every break, we're just, you know, getting over and getting our knees and praying together. And, but we kind of have like stupid issues here too. We got problems. We got people do dumb things. People are petty and they want to vote one another off the island. So I think part of it is just helping people to realize that people remain people even when they work in Christian spaces. But that's a hard truth for some people to to, to, to take in. So, and I think you, again, you give some, some, some ideas, some direction for us walking through. Again, the book's Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry, When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. So, you know, we just got a few minutes left. So, I mean, what counsel would you give to help people maybe temper in some ways their expectation of what they're going to experience, to acknowledge that conflict is part of this and to lean into that and to find some of those ways to persevere?
0: Well, number one, we're all getting shipwrecked on all different kinds of islands all the time in ministry. And all of our shipwrecks are different. Some of us get caught up in celebrity culture and uh, you know, consumerism. There's all these different things that we get caught up in as humans and the church. And we have to remember that we are all only by the grace of God still in this, number one. There is nothing outside of the grace of God. And so what I have learned to do is I have learned to go in and to, first of all, be pleasantly surprised when I'm not disappointed. Whenever I go back into a religious organization or into a church, I expect to be disappointed. And I know that sounds a little bit harsh, but I have learned to really lower my expectations when it comes to how people treat me, how people acknowledge me, how people celebrate me. And I have to go in knowing that God has called me into this space. And if I get a pat on the back, praise the Lord. If I'm told, well done, that's a cherry on the uh, the top of the Sunday. But really to go in expecting to be disappointed and then to be really pleasantly surprised when people show me who Jesus is. And I also have to know that I have not been perfect, that I have hurt people. I have said things that have hurt people. I have done things unintentionally to hurt people. And really going in knowing that there is a very high possibility that I'm going to get hurt but that there is a risk to love and loving each other is probably the greatest risk you and I are ever going to take on this planet. But I would rather get to heaven and be told I love too much than that. I didn't love enough. And if that means that every now and then a wound gets reopened, then at least at this point, I know to flinch. Um, when mm. I was in my 20s, I didn't know to duck. Now I know when to duck. <laughs> and that's really, un- that sounds morbid, but that's really what I've had to prepare myself for when I go into new staff oh. settings.
2: I mean, I like the second part of what you said, but I'm not sure like the first part you were saying it's <laughs> kind of like avoid disappointment, aim low. But <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that there's, I just think people, they come in with these unrealistic expectations of no relational difficulty. And yet I just, I mean, again, the example of Eric and I gave earlier, but I mean, there is a sense. I'm a I'm a I'm an Enneagram eight. If that means anything to some of our <laughs> audience, so so I don't mind conflict, and I want people to talk things through, and we'll wrestle these things through together. I'm I'm all about that. But at the end of the day, we got to stay at the table, and maybe having more as much as I didn't like how you expressed it at the same, it resonates. What's true with me is you have to have realistic, maybe not maybe the lowered I don't like, but you have to have a realistic expectations that you're going to have relational conflict. And you're not gonna get everything the way you want. And you know, and there are gonna be sometimes toxic situations you need to address, and you've said that, but but for us, it's just man, I just I just wish it wasn't that way. I tell Donna often that I just wanted my wife, Donna, I just wanna go get my guitar and go start another church in a coffee shop. And then, <laughs> then we won't have any of these problems, but the problem is then the church grows and then here we are all over again. So so what encouragement would you give then again? Because again, that's a, a big part of the book, raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away, is encouraging. So that's the challenge. That's you know some of the realistic expectations. What's the encouragement?
0: Well, the scriptures promise us in Philippians one six that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end. That means he's not done with us yet. That means that the gifts he's given us, the the calling that's been placed on our lives, the mantle that we we carry, even though it's heavy, he has given us everything we need to finish this race. And that includes every single day, the good, the bad, the hard, all of it. He has graced us to run this race and he's not done with you yet. And it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be this rosy uh, thing all the time, but in it, there is so much beauty. And this ministry thing, it is brutal and it is beautiful, but God is in it with us every step of the way. And we cannot quit because it's for the joy that was set before him, that he stayed on position in the cross. And we too, for the joy set before us is we're going to remain in position. And I want to encourage all of us remain in in position. That doesn't necessarily mean on a staff or in a role, but remain in Jesus and that good fruit will continue to bloom. Hmm.
2: Key theme coming back to you, remain,
0: remain, stay,
2: persevere. And uh, and maybe that's a lot what we need to hear today. And again, uh, there are caveats in there. You've already gave some caveats about toxicity and unhealthy city, and you do that in the book. But um, la- last question, you know, what, what do you hope that, um, you know, right now our audience is church leaders, you're talking to a whole lot of church leaders right now. Uh, give them that kind of closing word of exhortation that you would want them to know both from your book and from your life and your own journey about their role and their future in ministry.
0: Right now, I have the honor of being in a different church every weekend. And I want you to know that the church is very much alive and you as leaders and pastors And ministers of the gospel, you are doing a good job. There is a lot of bad press on the church. We know this, but I am telling you, there is revival in the air. And everywhere I go, I see good men and women doing hard and holy work. And your people are growing, your congregations are growing. Despite the numbers, there are people being healed and set free and brought into family. And you cannot deny that God is at work among his people. I cannot deny it. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. And what you are doing is absolutely vital to the kingdom of God. Do not quit because I see revival. There is a radical remnant rising up and you are not alone. Stay in position.
2: Fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time,
1: Natalie.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: You've been listening to Natalie Runyon. Be sure to check out her book, "Raise to Stay, Persevering in Ministry, When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. You can learn more about Natalie at natalierunyon.com. And thanks again for listening to the Stets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.
0: You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.